Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR political director Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. For the last couple of years, there's been no shortage of speculation about former Ohio Governor John Kasich's plans for 2020. He was back in New Hampshire to promote his new book late last week, and we caught up with him on campus at UNH, where he told us a challenge to President Trump appears unlikely, but he's not completely ruling it out just yet. Just describe for us, you came out in favor of impeachment last month. What was it about what you saw in the transcript, uh, what went on between the president and the president of Ukraine that alarmed you? Yeah, what really turned me was uh, the chief of staff to the president who said there was a quid pro quo. Of course it is, it happens all the time, which is simply not true. And then there's been the testimony of Taylor, uh, Vidman, I mean, a lot of uh, now people saying, in fact, Sondland just changed his testimony to say, yeah, there was a quid pro quo. Uh, that's what went over the top for me, because I don't think an American president, while they can use foreign aid as a leverage, foreign military aid to be withheld so that you, the leader of another country, must investigate my political opponent is a bridge too far for me. I, I just think it's extremely serious for an executive to do that. What do you think, though, a lot of your fellow Republicans are saying there's no there there? Well, I, I can't tell anybody else how to think. I mean, I think for myself, and uh, I'm concerned about the presidency. I'm worried about the precedent that sets. And uh, I have been disappointed, by the way, in which the Democrats have conducted this. I think they should have voted on an impeachment inquiry right off the bat. I think that they should there should be open and full rules for Republicans. And uh, I think they got themselves in a hole on that. But we now have public hearings. We just have to see what happens when those are exhausted. You've been through this process before, impeachment-wise, in terms right. of your time in the House. Is there any good way to do this? It seems like it's going to be a tough slog of a political process no matter what. Well, it just has to be open and fair. And then you let the chips fall where they may. And you don't. I don't really like the idea of questioning other people's motives or their thinking. I mean, I think everybody has to decide for themselves. Now, I know we're at a very partisan time, but to some degree it was that way uh, with the uh, impeachment of Clinton. But now it's it's really, really, truly tribal. But I just try to encourage the people that are there to think about how they want to be remembered, what they want their legacy to be, and then make a decision. But it isn't my job to try to shove my my feelings down their throats. I can make my case, but at the end, uh, I have to respect their decisions, not just in the House, but if the House should pass this and goes to the Senate, it's then going to be up to the Senate to, to decide. One quick return to the 90s there. Is there anything about that process that the Democrats should learn from in terms of administering what's yeah, going on? Yeah, I House? think it was more open and more robust for the minority. And that was a very, very hard decision for me. And this is a, a, a this was a very hard decision for me also. Uh, but now let's get through the bottom of it. Right, let's let's let the facts speak as they may, and and then move on. You talk about precedent. If essentially this happens and we move forward, uh, why is it not appropriate for a president to ask these things of a foreign leader? Well, I think presidents can ask change for foreign leaders, but not for their own personal political benefit. To say to a country like Ukraine, which has actually has Russian uh, soldiers in their country looking to try to move the Ukraine to the east to be in the Russian sphere rather than the west, which is where they want to be, to withhold this aid, which is vital, which was absolutely vital for Ukraine to maintain their independence, that being risked at the chance that you needed to have a situation where you got to go investigate uh, my political rivals or even going back to 16 and this Democrat server, to me, is just unacceptable. 
So there's, a, I guess, the certain level of foreign involvement of things going on here right now. How does America get back to a place, or can America get back to a place, where these foreign roles aren't really influencing what's going on in our election? Well, when it comes to election, I mean, the Congress has, and the states need to make sure that we, we do everything we can to prevent foreign influence of our elections, for sure. And in terms of the future, I think it's important we make sure we have strong alliances. And I think we've weakened them uh, in this administration, uh, and they need to be strengthened. What's the future of NATO right now, particularly what we see with Turkey, uh, the Syrian situation? Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't look good. It's a really good question. I mean, Turkey just seems to want to have it both ways, both to satisfy uh, Putin and Russia, uh, but also not to completely walk away from NATO. Uh, I think it's very, very difficult. The president's decision in terms of withdrawing and allowing Turkey to have a green light to move into Syria Everyone says, Republicans, Democrats, people you know, globally say it was a disaster, and it was. And we have to go from here. But I think we need to make it clear to Ukraine what's expected of them, and so does the EU. Now, I hate to see Turkey leave. It, it just is going to be a matter of, of us and our strongest allies trying to pull them back in our direction, because they're a critical country. But there have to be some rules and there have to be some things that, that we expect of them. In terms of what happened with the Kurds, what does the, the word of America mean right now in terms of our promises to allies and people who fight alongside us? And what would a future president have to do to try to reverse that? Well, I think, uh, look, we saw this when Obama did not act with the red line. That was a very damaging impact on uh, the United States' word. And now abandoning the Kurds is a, is, a, is a double whammy, and it hurts a very great deal. Uh, we just have to start keeping our word. And it means that future presidents, future executives, and if Trump is reelected, he needs to understand that we just can't walk away from these alliances. They're, they're important, and we can't say we're going to do something and then not do it. And it, it does create distrust, mistrust, and gives an opportunity for our enemies to fill a vacuum. Do I think that we've reached the point where we can't get, have we crossed the Rubicon to where we can't get back and reassure our allies? No. I think that the world is kind of watching to see what happens with this election, and they wonder if this is just a moment of time in America, or is this something that, uh, that we would expect going forward, which would weaken our alliances around the world. Would you personally trust Donald Trump with a second term in office? Well, I didn't vote for Donald Trump the first time, and I don't intend to vote for him this time. As to who I'm going to vote for, I really don't know. Uh, you know, as to the Democrats, you know, they've gone hard left. And when I see a candidate like Warren who says, for example, he's going to take, uh, you know, health care away from, you know, 170 million people and replace it with some government program, whether I like or agree with her, I don't think that dog hunts. I don't think that that works. So I believe the country is, is essentially center-right and center-left. And if you look at the elections that we've had recently um, and the midterm elections, you can see that those Democratic candidates who have been more center-left, more center-oriented, have been successful. You don't hear much talk about uh, you know, the New Green Deal, or you don't hear much talk about Medicare for All. They talk about fixing the system. They talk about the problems that exist where they're running for office. That's the most effective way for Democrats to run. In terms of, uh, of Republicans themselves, I think they, they need more independence to be able to express their hopes and concerns for families. Uh, if they get caught up in this riptide of, 
of, you know, we're against all this and we're creating disruption and all that, and they just completely go along with the Trump agenda, I think it puts them at risk myself. You talk about center right and center left. You've written about this a little bit, about trying to win back that middle of the country. But then you look at somebody like President Trump, who did well energizing in a populist way uh, the right side of the spectrum. Would it not make sense on the Democratic side to, to nominate someone who does that on the left side and draws out all of those well, people? Well, but you have a president now that's never gotten close to 50% approval. And you see the results in the midterm elections and the elections we've just had recently. And I think if the Democrats go hard left, those people, look, we have a pretty good economy right now. And even if you don't like what Donald Trump is doing, if you think that electing a Democrat who's going to strip away your health insurance or have some kind of a wealth tax or disrupt the economy or destroy the economy, uh, you may just say, hey, I don't like what this guy's doing, but boy, I don't want to put my family at risk economically. But we have a long way to go before that all sorts itself out. And the great thing about New Hampshire is it's a place where you're going to do some sorting, and I'm comfortable with that. How about you? Let's talk about you. Uh, you've said that you don't see a path, uh, but the door doesn't sound like it's 100% well, let me, let me Let me ask you if you think that we could predict uh, the next hour, let alone you know, the next week. You know, I used to do a lot of, of things on television, and we could do pre-tapes, you know, where we'd do something and then they'd run it. Now you can't do a pre-tape because what you did at 5 o'clock may not work at 6 o'clock. So all I'm trying to say is I don't right now don't see a path, but I don't close the door on anything because I love my country. I think I can help to bridge these differences that exist. I did it as governor. I did it as a congressman. Uh, I just don't know what the future is going to bring, but I'm not sitting here on the edge saying I hope all these bad things happen to somebody. That's not where I am, but I'm, I'm going to keep my voice out there, try to do good for my country and see where it leads. Still highly unlikely, though, in the next week you would end up on the first in the nation primary ballot. Well, I'm, that, I'm not filing. No, that's, no. that's not going <laughs> to so, happen. But, yeah, We're only so, eight days away. Right. <laughs> eight eight days a week, I guess they, <laughs> the song goes, but I don't, I don't intend to, to file, no. What would it take, I guess? You're saying you're not hoping for something bad. You know, you, it's sort of like what the Supreme Court judge once said. You know, you know it when you see it. And it's, it takes a, a big number of things in order to be able to run a successful campaign for president. I mean, it, without a path, I don't know how I can get to the higher heights. But, you know, you keep walking on the... You keep walking on the trail and sometimes you can see how to get there, but right now I don't. And in terms of what it will take, it take a multiplicity of things. But right now, I'm very comfortable with where I am. All right, Governor Kasich, we appreciate your time. Thank you Thanks very much. Always enjoy being here. Good I love New Hampshire. Life's beautiful moments, sunsets, landscapes, wildlife. That's WMUR's You Local Facebook group. Join this growing community and browse the stunning images captured by viewers like you. Or share your own. Get started at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash WMUR9. Go to groups and join You Local. See you there. It's the time of the primary season when we tend to see some separation among candidates. And while things are not clear at the top, there are some big names no longer in the mix here in New Hampshire. WMUR political reporter John DeStaso joins us now to discuss. Good morning, sir. How are you doing, John? Good. So Beto O'Rourke is out. Julian Castro pulling his campaign out of New Hampshire. Uh, those two, not necessarily a surprise given the way things have been trending for them. Right. It still is amazing that Kamala Harris uh, started here back in February, had that thousand plus crowd in Portsmouth. The buzz was huge. The interest was huge. And now she's backing out of the state now and going all in on Iowa. Right. It was sort of a slow withdrawal and then suddenly Bang, she's 
virtually out of the state. There's a couple of staffers here. And I agree with you, it's a, it's a mystery. It's one of the mysteries of this campaign right now. It might be in the top three because the very first time she came here, she had 1,500 people, an overflow crowd. She continued to have, that, to have these huge crowds, a lot of attraction. Uh, she just didn't seem to want to connect here. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. There didn't seem to be a desire. It, it just wasn't in her plans uh, in New Hampshire. Why? Uh, I don't know exactly why. I don't know if anyone does other, other than Kamala Harris and her top aides. But I think that she did miss a big opportunity. I think that in the end, um, unless there's a real reversal of history, uh, it's not going to bode well for her down the road. She has to win Iowa now. She has to win South Carolina. And in the, in the middle will be her barely showing up in the, in the New Hampshire balloting. And certainly, it's not out of the realm of possibility that could, she could pull off some kind of miraculous comeback in Iowa and then come back here, and maybe that interest comes back. But still, no. uh, it's an easy lesson learned the hard way for these campaigns, that New Hampshire still matters. And a lot of these pundits, uh, to start out, they said, oh, New Hampshire is faded in importance, right. cable news, social media, particularly in the case of Beto O'Rourke. He abandoned the state in May and went yes. all in on that cable news, social media strategy, and it disappeared as candidacy. Exactly, and uh, Julian Castro, I would say pretty much the same thing. Uh, other than showing up, uh, the three of them, other than showing up for the uh, September convention, the big convention at the arena, there was very little uh, uh, presence by the candidate. The candidate has to come. They had campaigns here. They were lobbying we in the press for the story and that story. Uh, these little endorsements, that endorsement plans. But with the candidate not here and the candidate uh, just showing that they didn't, they did not want to connect with New Hampshire. Um, again, I believe they're going to pay for it in the end. Now, call me a, a hometown boy, but that's just the way I feel about it. Yeah, disclaimer here in the big words: that this is yeah. the Homer broadcast, I guess. Well, one where I mean, but it's reality too, uh, Adam. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence here to file for uh, President Trump last week. You got an interesting question at the end, asking, "Hey, are we going to see you in 2024?" What was his response? Uh, he just kind of looked at me, uh, turned around a little bit, looked at me, and said, uh, "I'll keep you posted." So I don't know what to read into that, but it's, you know, uh, he could have just said, I'm, I'm just here for, for the president and I'm here for, uh, for 2020, but he just left a little bit of a flicker of, of interest for down the road. And I think a lot of people in the, in the Trump organization uh, and the Trump team and group of supporters uh, probably wouldn't mind seeing Mike Pence run in 2024, but it was, it was a fun answer. And I'm glad I got an answer that kept sort of the spark burning. Right. Yeah, and that uh, who inherits the Trump legacy is going to be one of the biggest questions, oh, yeah. no matter whether that's uh, 2021 or 2024. Uh, that's one of the big question marks for Republicans going forward. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.